0: When pastor asked me, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to be gone, obviously, for the wedding and all that, and uh, it ended up being, it's going to be three weeks on Wednesday nights uh, that you're stuck with me. So this week, next week, and and the 19th, so as I really started thinking about this, and you know, what the Lord, you know, was wanting me to talk about, uh, he just, he really, actually he reminded me the other day, and I... Completely forgot about this. It is 23 years ago this month that I came to know the Lord. 23 years ago, so it was December 1995. Uh, and you know, as as I remembered that, I thought, "Wow, what a difference 23 years makes!" Because I am not the person I was 23 years ago. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I don't know anybody knew me back then, I, I'm trying to remember who would know me from then, that knows me now, but uh, just if somebody who knew me back then had not had any insight into my journey over these last 23 years and meet me now, they go, no, you must be his brother, because <laughs> that's not the guy I knew 23 years ago. But here's the thing, in those 23 years, the Lord has done some miraculous things. And he's done some things that I pff, couldn't even begin to imagine. Because on that fateful day, 23 years ago, I got on my knees, and I, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer, but my real prayer was this. Lord, if there's anything you can do with my life, have at it. Because my life at time, that time was a mess. And I had no purpose, no direction. I didn't know what in the world I was going to do with my life. So I literally turned my life over to the Lord and said, hey, if, <laughs> if there's anything you can do with this, have at it. Little did I know, somebody was listening and the Lord began a process that's brought me to where I am today. And that process is, is something I could have never scripted. There's no way. All the things the Lord has brought me through over these 23 years, there's no way I could have scripted any of that. And there's no way I would have agreed to it up front if the Lord had told me, this is what's going to happen in the next 23 years. Nope, 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 I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to go through all that. But what i do know is where i am today the lord has set me up for what's yet to come and that's what i want to talk about these next couple of weeks is as we close out 2018 i mean can you believe it's 2018 we are 2 years away from hitting 2020 you know 20 years into the the 21st century uh, that's crazy You know, they uh, just had the the service today for uh, uh, Bush 41. And I remember when he was elected. You know, that's like back in the 80s. (laughs) It's like a million years ago now. Back then, I never even thought of a new millennia. You know, the year 2000 wasn't even on the radar screen. And now here we are 20 years past that, or almost 20 years past that point. But God knew where I would be today. God knew where you would be today. And in 23 years from today, God knows where you're going to be and he knows where I'm going to be. And he's there waiting for you to get there. He's there waiting for you to go through whatever process that God has for you to prepare you for whatever's going to occur 23 years from now. You know, a lot of times I hear people When they, you know, they come to know the Lord or they finally, you know, get back with the Lord or whatever it is, and they'll say, man, if I only did this 23 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, if I only did this, insert so many years. But here's the thing, in God's economy, it is 23 years ago. It is 10 years ago. It is five years ago. Whatever that number is, it is that time to God because in 5, 10, 20, 23 years from now, God's already there. And he's looking back and he's saying, hey, I have you where you are right now because I want you to be somewhere in 5, 10, 15, 20, 23 years from now. And he's waiting for you there. And what you do now sets you up for where he wants you to be in X amount of time. But that's, that's the key right there. Is am I willing to humble myself before the Lord and submit to whatever process he has for me, he has for you to be where God wants me to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Am I willing to do that? Because the decision you make today and tomorrow and the next day will determine where you're going to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. If you don't like where you are today... Look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and what you've done has gotten you to where you are today. If you don't like it, okay, what do you need to change? What do you need to do so that 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to be in a better place than you are today? And that's that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about God's discipleship process. I want to talk about how God can set you up for spiritual success in 2019, Things are speeding up. Things are getting close. And the thing that this world, that this country, that this state needs is a vibrant, Bible-believing, Jesus-fearing, Jesus-obeying church that is the light of the world and the hope of the gospel. That's what, that's what this world needs. That's what this country needs. That's what this state needs. That's what this city needs. It needs us. To be fully engaged. To be full disciples of Jesus Christ. We can't play around with this anymore. We can't go our own way. We have to fully surrender to Jesus. So how do we do that? So I'm going to share a little bit of my story of how I got here. And some of the principles, and that's really what I want to share. It's not so much the specifics, because the specifics are going to be different for you. The specifics of what God brings you through are going to be different. So those things are not transferable. But what is transferable are the principles that I've learned about God's discipleship process. And you see this all the way through the Bible. From Genesis all the way through the New Testament. You see God's discipleship process through the likes of Moses and Joseph and David. How God prepares his people. It is a pattern that runs all the way through the Bible. And I want to talk about uh, just Joseph real quick. Everybody is familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph was the the, uh, son of uh, Jacob who became Israel. One of the twelve that eventually started the twelve tribes of Israel. And he was the favorite son. You know, And we, you know, we know the Broadway play, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, but it wasn't the dreamcoat that was the big deal. It was God that blessed his life. So Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. All his brothers hated him because he was the favorite son. And eventually, the other brothers conspired to sell him into slavery. And then eventually, he ends up in prison because he was falsely accused of rape. I mean, that's, that's what it was. And for about 15, 17 or so years, here he is in slavery and in prison. Now, just before this, God gives him two dreams. And in those dreams, it is spoken over him. Now, he doesn't know the, what the fulfillment of that is, but that his brothers and his, even his mother and father would bow down before him. And, of course, he has no problem declaring that to them. Wow, look what's going to happen Even the sun, moon, and stars are going to bow to me. But what he didn't know was the process that was necessary to get him to that point. Because I guarantee you, the second his brothers threw him in that that pit and then sold him into slavery, Joseph didn't go, yeah, the whole thing's starting. It's about time. I couldn't wait for this. He did not say that. And when he gets thrown into prison for falsely being accused of rape, he goes, Yeah, it's really moving now. God's preparing me. I can't believe I, I'm that close. He didn't do that. He had no idea what the process was going to be to prepare him for his, his kingdom destiny. And it's the same with us. It's the same with me. I had no idea what was going to happen in those 23 years. These last 23 years. I had no idea. I didn't know what I was praying It's like when the, as as Jesus called them, the sons of thunder came to Jesus and said, hey, can we sit at your right hand and in your left? He's like, whoa, whoa, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. And when we ask Jesus to be our Lord, and in one respect, we're like the sons of thunder, we have no idea what we're asking for. We think we want to go to heaven. We think, yeah, I just want to be, I want to be saved. I want to get to heaven one day. The gospel is so much bigger than that. The gospel is not a heaven population proce- or, or program; it's a life transformation process. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not about getting you to heaven one day. You, will you get to heaven? Absolutely. God's not in the heaven population business. God's in the redemption business. If He was just in the heaven population business, the second you pray that prayer, you're gone, off into heaven. But that's not what this is about. It's about you becoming who God created you to be in the first place. That's what this is about. And that process is about helping develop you. You know, in, in, um, in the book of Jeremiah, you talk about the, the, the potter and, and the clay. And that's what God does, He molds us. And that molding process, man, sometimes it's rough. It's hard because there's a lot of edges on us sometimes that need to come off that we don't want to come off. And there's a lot of things that we have to go through that God forces us through because unless we go through it, we will not become who God called us to become. And a lot of times we resist that process. And when we resist that process, we stop the process. There's no shortcut There's no shortcut. God is very patient. If we resist the process, he'll just wait for us until we start moving forward again. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this adage before, but in in the uh, business world, especially in the HR world, there's an adage that says, you know, if somebody turns in a resume that says they have 10 years of experience, in reality, a lot of times, they don't have 10 years of experience. They've got two years of experience, and they've repeated that second year another Eight times. And in the Christian world, a lot of people say, yeah, I've been a Christian for 40 years. But they've actually been a Christian for three years. They just keep repeating the third year. They never grow past that third year. So yeah, on a calendar, you can say, I've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But if you have not grown spiritually beyond whatever year it is, you're just repeating a year over and over again. And God's just waiting for you to get to that next year. You got to get there. Because your destiny is not dependent on the calendar. It's dependent on your character. God is developing our character in this process. And that is hard. That's what he did with Joseph. The Joseph that came out of prison was a completely different Joseph that went into slavery. Completely different. Because when his brothers came to him after his father died and they bowed before him because they thought, now he's going to get us back. And they bow before him just as was prophesied over him before in the very beginning. What does he do? He looks at them with compassion. He says, "Whoa, well, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he speaks the truth over them. He doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't seek vengeance. It's not about him anymore. It's about God. And that's part of character development is we move away from what is my, in my interest to what's in God's interests. What's best for what he wants because he is the only one who sees life clearly. We're like fish in a fishbowl. We look out through that water. If you could if you could look through the eyes of a fish, when you're in the water there's there's a, a scientific term called refraction that Water will refract light to make things look distorted. It's like you put a pencil in a glass of water and it looks like the pencil's broken, but in reality it's not. It's just refracted. So when a fish looks out through the water in a fishbowl, he looks or she looks at the world and it's a refracted version of the world. They don't know that. To them, that's what the world looks like. Well, we're like fish in a fishbowl, except for water. We're not in water. We're in sin. And sin distorts everything we see. The only one who can give us a true perspective is somebody outside the fishbowl. And that's Jesus. Jesus is outside the fishbowl. He sees the world as it is. And the only one who can tell us the truth is Jesus. Now we can trust our perspective or we can trust his truth. There's no in between. And in this process of development... We have to get to the point where we're trusting his truth and making decisions based on that truth, regardless of what we see. Perfect example of that. Back in 2011, I was a Fort Worth police officer, had been a Fort Worth police officer for 10 years, loved being a Fort Worth police officer. It was a blast. I just, I really enjoyed it. And just the Lord had given me favor and it moved me into a position that was a very coveted position in the police department. In 2011, God came to me and said, okay, you're done at the Fort Worth Police Department. I want you to leave. Like, what? <laughs> I'm having fun, and I'm in a great, great spot. I've only been there for 10 years, so I couldn't retire, so to speak, like you would traditionally retire and get a, a retirement and all that. It was if I left, I was done. No salary, nothing. And on paper, financially, it made no sense. But I remember telling the Lord, I said, "All right, if this is you, number one, you're going to give my wife peace about this because we're one in the Spirit. So if she does not have peace, it's not from you. So for three weeks we prayed about it. And I said, if either one of us loses our peace, it's not from the Lord. At the end of the three weeks, we still had peace about it. Again, it still didn't make any sense on paper. But I knew this had to be a decision of obedience. It could not be a decision based on finances. So I, you know, with fear and trepidation, wrote up my resignation letter, went into my sergeant's office, and handed him my resignation letter. And, I mean, it shocked everybody. It shocked me. <laughs> shocked me first, but it shocked everybody after that. He, t- you know, he tried to talk me out of it, and it just he finally realized, okay, I'm not talking you out of this. So when I turned that in, I remember he started pulling paperwork out. And he said, "You got to do this. You got to fill out this paperwork. Fill out this, all that you know, paperwork stuff. You know, we're from the government. We're here to help." I filled out all that paperwork, and there was another piece of paper he slid before me. He said, "Hey, also, you need to sign this because your leave balance. And what was my leave? My leave balance was on my vacation, my family leave, sick leave, uh, comp time." all that stuff that I had accrued over the, you know, 10 years, what I hadn't used. He said, because you're separating, you're, you're actually going to get paid for all that. Like, what? He said, yeah, they're going to cut you one big check for your entire severance package, your, your leave balance, over 1,000 hours of pay in one paycheck. And I, you know, the second he said that, I knew what the Lord was telling me. He was saying, I wanted to know if you're willing to make a decision when it doesn't look right to you. It's the difference between the, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. At the Red Sea, God opens the sea, creates dry land, and Israel walks in. That is a picture of salvation. Jesus does everything. There is nothing required on our part. We walk right through it on dry land. It never touches us. The only thing we're required to do is walk through it, is to accept it. But at the Jordan River, when when Jerusalem or uh, Israel rather reaches the Jordan River, and there's Joshua ready to cross them over the Jordan River, the Jordan River was at flood stage. If you've seen, you know, some of these 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 uh, videos of some of the hurricanes with the rivers, and I mean, they're literally taking out cities. That's the type of situation that the Jordan River's in. It's at flood stage. It's not some little bubbling brook. You know, it's got a sign in front of it that says, turn around, don't drown. Well, God did not open the Jordan River for them to walk into it. He said, you walk in first, then I'll open it. In the kingdom... For salvation, he does the whole thing for you. He does everything for you. All you got to do is accept it. When it's time for you to walk into your kingdom destiny, you face the Jordan River. God wants to know that you're going to act first and then trust he will move. Because the only way the kingdom of God advances is through faith, not through sight. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. And how does God test whether you're walking by faith or not by sight? By putting you in a position where you have to step in first before he acts. That's part of that preparation. I guarantee you, if I had not done that in 2011, I wouldn't be standing here today. Just wouldn't happen. That's part of that development process. So I want to go over a little bit more of these specific uh, principles. A time into what I've been experiencing, but I also want you to begin to think in your life. Where are these going on in my life? What is God asking me to do? Where I have to step in first, and then He's going to open the way. Because there's no doubt in my mind. With with this many people in this room, there's at least one person tonight where God's asking you to do something. You're going, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It just doesn't make doesn't make any sense. But God's saying. I want you to step in. You step in first, then I'll move. And we have to get to that point before we can walk into our kingdom destiny. And it all begins with the gospel. You know, as I said before, the gospel is more than just going to heaven one day. The gospel is about restoring the relationship God intended to have with us from the very beginning. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. That's what God intended. Sin has broken that relationship. Sin broke apart everything God intended. But we see in Revelation 22 that God's going to restore everything in the end. In fact, it'll be better. That's the story of Job, right? In the beginning, God had blessed him. Then everything's taken away. But the end of the story is better than the beginning. And the end of this matter in Genesis is better than the beginning, That I'm sorry, in Revelation, is better than the beginning that was in Genesis. So what the good that we see in Genesis is going to be even better in Revelation. And that's what we have to look forward to. But in that process, we've got to be willing to allow God to develop us. So I want to talk about the gospel for a minute and the importance of the gospel one of the things that, you know, we're, we're really big about in, in the evangelical world here at Turning Point Church is evangelism and sharing the gospel with the lost. But tonight I don't want to talk about sharing the gospel with, with somebody different than a lost. I'm absolutely all about sharing the gospel with the lost. You know, I travel with Stephen Evans going to Central America, and we do that crusade ministry, and, and I, I mean, I just I love the gospel. But there's somebody you need to share the gospel with before you share it with somebody who's lost, then that's yourself. You need to evangelize you. You need to look yourself in the mirror and evangelize the person looking back because we've forgotten what the gospel is all about. We've forgotten what the gospel does because in the gospel, God plants in us everything we need to walk into our kingdom destiny. It's already in you. You just don't know it yet. You just haven't experienced it yet. So if you ever see me uh, teach at all, you know what's coming. All right. Three circles. This, this is just a general illustration of, of all of us in our spiritual condition. So these three circles represent three things. First of all, it's the body, the soul, and then in the, in the middle is the spirit. Now, obviously, we understand what the body is. This is our body. And that's why it's the bigger circle. It's on the outside. It's what everybody sees. Okay, the soul. When I say the soul, what am I talking about? We all have a soul. I'm talking about the mind, the will, And the emotions, it's you, it's your personality, it's the person on the inside. This is not me, I'm on the inside. The soul is like the person on the inside of a spacesuit. If I want to go operate in space, I need to put on a spacesuit. But the spacesuit is not me, I'm on the inside. If I want to live on earth in the physical world, I need a physical body. But this is not me. If I go to the doctor, and the doctor takes a knife and splits me open, he's not going to find me. okay? Because the soul is spiritual, it's not physical. And right there, we begin to realize that we're more than just physical. Because the soul is spiritual. And then in the middle, of course, is the spirit. Now, the Bible says that every single person on earth, if you're born on earth, if you're not, anybody not born on earth? Okay, just checking. It's a whole different message. If you're born on earth, every single person is born with a spiritually genetic disease. The Bible calls sin. And it's at our core. We're born spiritually dead, if you will. That sin, or, or another way to put it, is the, is the natural sin uh, that's passed on to us from Adam. Okay, and this is why Jesus was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. He could not be born through man because the, the seed of sin is passed through the man. That's why he was spiritually incarnated by the Holy Spirit. He was born without sin. But we are born in sin. And here's what happens. This sin is in our core. And that sin infects our soul. It infects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. And it's that infection that leads to these actions, see, we tend to call the actions sin, but in reality, those are just the symptoms of sin. Sin at its core is really a lie. see the the whole reason Adam and Eve sinned is because they believed a lie, and what was a lie? There were two lies in Genesis chapter three. The, the, the serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of any of the trees in the, in the garden? She says, no, 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 it's just this one. You can't, we can't even touch it. Then the serpent, the enemy, says this to her. And there are two lies that are in this statement. There's, there's an implicit lie and an explicit lie. Let me talk about the explicit lie first. Because she says, if we touch it, even, even if we touch it, we'll die. And here's what the enemy says. You're not going to die. Explicit lie right there. That's the explicit lie. He says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will become like God. That's the implicit lie. Now, it wasn't an outright lie like the one talking about death. But here's what the enemy was planting in Eve and, and, by extension, into Adam. He was saying that you are incomplete. When he said you will become like God, that was an implicit lie that they weren't like God. However, in Genesis 1 and 2, it says God created them in his image. They were already like God so the enemy comes along and tells them two lies number one you're not going to die if you eat the fruit number two you need something other than God to become like God so they reached out grabbed the fruit and they believed the lie that's what sin is sin is a lie that's why Jesus calls the enemy the father of lies Because that's really what sin is. Sin is a lie that you believe about yourself, about God, about reality, about other people. And it's not the lie that's the biggest issue. The biggest issue is making decisions based on that lie that leads to the symptom. This is why we do the stupid things we do. Because we believe a lie about ourselves. We believe a lie about other people. We believe a lie about something. And we think that lie is truth. If you've ever gone to a, a magic show and you see a magician, you know, I used to have a, a roommate who was a magician, and the whole purpose of a magician, and really, there's obviously, the no thing is magic, the reality is that they're actually more correctly called illusionists, which I guess is the technical term, whatever, because what they do is they create an illusion. They distract you from what is true Create a lie and make the lie look real. You know, they, they cut the, they saw the woman in two. That's, they're not sawing. I'm sorry to break it to you if, you know, it's, nobody realizes they actually are sawing the woman in two. They're creating a deception to make a lie look real. And that's all the enemy does. He is a master illusionist, he creates a lie. It makes it look like the truth to get you to believe it. Because the only power the enemy has over us is to deceive us. That's it. But that power is transferred into uh, actual action when we believe the lie and then take action on it. And that's what this is. This is the action. So if you've got stuff in your life out here, stuff that's going on, stuff you're doing that you know I shouldn't be doing, that is a symptom of sin or a lie that you're believing. Now, this is our condition before we come to Jesus, before the gospel. We, have, we are, this is why the Bible says we are slaves to sin because there is no truth in us. There's no capacity for us to believe in the fullness of truth. We are all deceived. Uh, Paul says that that no one seeks after God, for all have gone astray and all have fall sh- fall short of the glory of God. <coughs> it's because of sin. Now, here's what the gospel does. So we still have our three circles. The body, the soul, and in the middle is the spirit. Okay, We still have that. We still have the mind, the will, and the emotions, which is the soul. Okay, Now, here's what the gospel does. In the previous picture we had in the middle, sin, because we're all born with a spiritually genetic disease called sin. Here's what the gospel does. Theologians call the gospel the great exchange, and rightfully so, because that's what happens. Jesus exchanges your sin for righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If any man is in Christ or woman, he is a new creation. All things have gone, behold, the new has come. It's not the new is coming, it's the new has come. It's present tense. Here's what happens. Jesus takes that sin core out and he replaces it with truth. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The way we become spiritually alive is all of a sudden we become united with God through his Spirit. Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, that truth has radically transformed us. Here's the reality of where, if you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel right now, where you sit, regardless of whatever X's are going on around out here, the truth is, in your spirit, you are fully redeemed. This is why the Holy Spirit can dwell within you. Because your spirit is 100% redeemed. On the day of redemption, when Jesus returns, you know, Paul says we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Old will be taken away, new will come, the, the, the mortal will put on immortal, will have a new glorified body. However, our spirit will not need to be transformed because it already is. Everything you need to live the Christian life is already in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You just don't realize it yet. Why? Why don't we realize that? Okay, so if I go shake somebody's hand right now, they've got the flu. Everybody's got the flu at the moment. It's all over the place. And I touch my eye or my mouth or my nose or whatever, and I infect my body. I go and I wash my hands. I remove the source of the infection, but my body's still infected. I still have to deal with the infection itself. And that's what happens. See, Jesus removes a source of sin but the infection is still in our soul. And this is why a Christian still has symptoms of sin. Because we still believe the lie. We believe the lie that we're not good enough. We believe the lie that I'm not worthy. We believe the lie that, you know, God really isn't trustworthy. I know, God wants me to quit my job. or you know, Like that day in 2011 when God came to me and said, I want you to quit your job. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if I can trust you. Well, really, that's dumb. We're talking about God. Of course I can trust him. He created the whole world. Why in the world would I not trust him? Because I believe a lie. This is the problem we have to overcome. We're already redeemed here. We need to get it here. How does that happen? That is the process of discipleship. The process of discipleship is... Just like sin was in here, so truth is in there. God wants to get that truth to infect your, your, uh, your soul in a good way to begin to eradicate the lie. And this is why willpower does not work. Willpower has no power over sin. I, I'm not against self-help books and motivational seminars in and of themselves. But they have a limitation. They don't have any spiritual power. And the core of our problem is not natural, it's spiritual. The core of our problem is sin. And the reason I think the wrong way is because I believe a lie. Now, I can drum up all the willpower I want, and I may be able to stop this for a while, whatever that is, but if I don't get rid of the source... And willpower has no power over sin. So I'm not going to get rid of the source. I may get rid of the symptom for a while. But it's like going to the doctor. If I've got pneumonia and I take, you know, and I'm coughing and I take cough medicine to get rid of the cough, the cough may go away, but i still got pneumonia. Or if that cough is a result of cancer, I've still got cancer. Cough syrup will not get rid of cancer. I need something stronger. I need something that's going to overcome that physical sickness. My willpower may be able to stop whatever this is for a while. But as long as the source remains, there's something else is going to pop up or that's coming back or whatever. And how many Christians do you know, because I was in this position myself, are just chasing symptoms all their life. They go from one thing to another. One symptom to another. And eventually whatever it is that started, it comes right back and they're right back where they started again. Why? Because they haven't gone after the source. They're only going after the symptom. Until we get after the source, the symptoms will never go away. They may change, but they're not going away. So, how do we go after the source? And this is where the discipleship process begins. This is the core of the gospel. It's not just about getting you to heaven. It's about transforming your character. What is character? Character is the sum total of who I am in my soul. You know, you know, if I were to say right now that I know Pastor Jeff, he's getting ready for, uh, his wedding guess what he's doing tonight he's off on a bachelor party he's going all those nasty places and he's going to get plastered and i how many people would believe that nobody why because you know his character you know his character and how do you know his character because you've seen it demonstrated over an extended period of time where does that come from it comes from the soul That's his character. His character has been transformed by the power of the gospel. Now, he, by his own admission, when he was, you know, as a teenager, he was out doing all that stuff. So why is he different now? Because his his soul has been transformed by the power of the gospel. It's not just about him going to heaven one day. It's about him being transformed every day. It's not about you and me going to heaven one day. It's about God transforming us every single day, consistently over time, so that 23 years from now, you're a different person than you are today. And I, 23 years from now, I so, certainly hope I'm a different person than I am today, right now. Because the discipleship process never stops. Don't, please don't think I've arrived. <laughs> By no means have I've arrived. Not even close. I'm just further along than I was 23 years ago. And that process is never ending, but it should be always progressing. Where you are today should be further along than where you were yesterday, and where you are tomorrow should be further along than where you are today. You should see a constant progression forward. How does this happen? Through the discipleship process. At the core of the discipleship process, of course, is the gospel. And the gospel, again, is that great exchange. Yes, you get to go to heaven one day. But the gospel is not about your future destination. It's about your daily present transformation. It becomes your identity. At the core of our character is who am I? You know, when the seven sons of Siva were out there trying to cast out the demons, one of the demons finally turned to them and went, okay, hold on. (laughs) Jesus I know, Paul I know. Uh, Who are you? And here's the thing, the enemy asks us that question every single day. Every single day, the enemy will ask us that question. Just who do you think you are? Now, God has already answered that question in the gospel. But the real question is, how do you answer it? How do you answer it? Because your answer will determine how transformed your soul is. And if it's not an answer you want, then you need to keep allowing God to transfer, transform you to the point where when the enemy asks you, just who do you think I am or you are? Well, let me tell you who I am. I know exactly who I am. I am the righteousness of God in him. All things are past. Behold, new has come. I am a partaker of the divine nature. Just who do you think you are? Because that question is meant to deceive you. He already he knows the answer. He knows you're in Christ. Do you know it? And that's why Christians all the time are getting their lunch handed to them because they don't know the answer to that question. And the enemy and just like with the seven sons of Siva, they you know the the, the, the demon overpowered them, they ran out of there defeated and naked. And that's exactly where most Christians are. They feel defeated and spiritually naked because they don't know how to answer that question. So how do you get to a point where you know how to answer that question? Well, number one, of course, is the gospel. Number two is you've got to get this truth out of your spirit into your soul. This is important, but it's not as important as this. This is where most people focus on. Man, if I could just stop X, Y, Z, whatever that is, my life would be better. No, it wouldn't. Here's where your life becomes better. The goal of the gospel is not just to change your behavior. The gospel is not a behavioral modification program. The goal of the gospel is not to get you to stop doing stuff. And unfortunately, we presented the gospel that way for decades. Just, you know, don't do this, don't do that. The gospel is designed to turn you into the type of person that doesn't even want to do this anymore. Because when you don't want to do this, this no longer has power over you. That's what the goal of the gospel is. So how do you get there? Number one is the gospel itself is that great exchange. After that, what's next? It's getting this truth out of your spirit into your soul and that is the discipleship process it's what i call the prescription for life it's the very first step in my opinion in the discipleship process as i mentioned earlier uh, a few minutes ago i talked about the the aspect of having you know cancer or or pneumonia or something Uh, i use that as an illustration for what i call the prescription for life Because if if you go to the doctor and you've got pneumonia, you know you can drink all the chicken soup you want, man. That sucker ain't going nowhere. If you go to the doctor, you go and you got pneumonia. What's the doctor going to do? They're going to give you a prescription. You get that prescription. You go to the pharmacist. the The pharmacist fills the prescription. You go home. You got this little pill bottle. In this little pill bottle are all these little pills. That little pill is chemically alive, so to speak. It's going to do in you what you cannot do in yourself. And as long as you follow the prescription, you know that over time, this pneumonia has no chance. This pneumonia is going to go away. But it's contingent upon you actually taking the prescription. Because if you take the prescription you go and get it filled and you leave it sitting on the shelf right on top of your Bible and you don't do anything with it, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. So two, three weeks later, you go back to the doctor and say, hey, you know, uh, I still got this cough and I still got pneumonia. What's going on? What's the doctor going to ask you? Are you taking your meds? "Uh, Well, no. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you unless you take your meds. And it's the same thing in Christianity. Now, sin is not a physical sickness. It's a spiritual sickness. And, I, and, and unfortunately, I can't just roll out this huge case of pills tonight saying, hey, this little pill is going to get rid of all your sin. <laughs> if it could, I'd be a multi-bazillionaire. But I can't do that. Because a physical pill cannot treat a spiritual sickness. What we need is not something that's chemically alive, We need something that's spiritually alive. Well, fortunately, we've got something, and it's called the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. It is spiritually alive. And just like that little pill that you take and, and take it so it will do in you what you cannot do in yourself to heal that physical sickness, you need to take your spiritual medicine so it will do in you what you cannot do in yourself. And that's heal that sin sickness. But unfortunately... There's a whole bunch of Christians, according to Barna, actually, it's less than 10% are on their spiritual meds. You know what happens when you get off your meds? Things get crazy. And there's a whole bunch of Christians that are off their meds. Because, you know, when somebody comes down to me, and you know, I've been on staff here for six years, and people come to me and say, hey, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, I've got this going on in my life. At some point in the conversation I'll get to, okay, tell me, how much time do you spend in the Word? And almost every single time, actually, I've, it's, it's 100%. I've never met somebody who has all these problems in their life and who's in the Word consistently all the time. Never met them because they don't exist. So they come up to me and they say, oh, yeah, you know, i got all this going on. I said, okay, well, how much time are you spending in the Word? They're like, well... Um, and it goes one of two directions. Either, oh, yeah, I know I should be, but I'm not or I used to be and I'm not. Somehow we get to I'm not, somewhere in the conversation. So I'll ask them, why not? And they'll tell me, well, either I used to, or you know, I know I should. Or, and usually in the conversation it comes down to, well, I just don't get anything out of it. And I guarantee you, almost to a person, anybody who's not consistently in the word, at some point has said, I'm not getting anything out of this. So I'll ask them, what are you looking for? And they're like, what? What What do you mean, what am I looking for? Usually the conversation ends when I say I'm not getting anything out of it. What are you looking for? And they'll say, well, you know, I I hear Pastor Jeff on the radio, and man, that's some great theology, or or I read this book by Tony Evans, or or whoever. I'm like, oh, okay, you're looking for information. Like, "Uh, what do you mean? So, well, you're going into the Bible and you're looking for the information of the Word, the doctrine, the theology, and all that stuff. Like, Well, I guess so. Okay, well, there's good doctrine and theology in there. But what if I were to tell you the number one goal of the Bible is not to inform you, it's to transform you? You're like, well, what do you mean? I've never heard that before. Here's what happens when you read the Bible. I'll go back to this here in a second. When you read the Bible... Most people think, when I read the Bible, I'm feeding my mind. That's not the truth. The goal of the Bible is not to feed your mind with information. Is there information in the the Word? Absolutely. Is there doctrine in theology? You bet there is. I'm the director of a Bible college. I love doctrine in theology. But that's not the goal of the Bible. The goal of the Bible is to transform your life. When you read the Bible, the number one thing you need to be doing is feeding your spirit. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a revealer or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what happens. As you begin to read the word, the word gets into your spirit and it begins to leak in a good way or infect your soul and what happens is it begins to create this division what is the division the division between truth and a lie it begins to expose the lies you believe in your heart and as it exposes those lies it does it by revealing the truth and it's at that point you have a decision am i going to believe the truth or am i going to hold on to a lie And the more you get in there and get in you, the more it begins that division and the more it begins to overcome that sin sickness. And when it begins to overcome the source of that sin sickness, guess what goes with it? The symptom. That's how your life is transformed. Christianity is an inside-out process, not an outside-in. You cannot create law... To turn somebody into a Christian. That's why the law does not work. The law was never meant to transform your life. The law was meant to show you you needed to be transformed. That was the purpose of the law. It was a plumb line, if you will, or a standard that said, here's the standard, and the standard is always perfection. Because God is perfect, and he's the standard. And none of us meet that standard. And the law revealed to us the fact that we couldn't meet that standard. Paul says in Romans 7, the purpose of the law was to show that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. That's why the law doesn't work. That's why it's not an outside end. So as you read the word, it begins to infect your soul and... And transform the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. Here's the thing. If I add doctrine and theology to a mind that's infected with sin sickness, guess what that sin sickness is going to do? It's going to distort that doctrine and theology. And we know in our world today, there's like nobody with distorted theology or anything, you know? It's not like they're writing books all over the place. I went to seminary, there was a bunch of people with distorted theology. It's everywhere. Why? Because people are feeding their mind with information, a mind that has yet to be transformed by the word first. As the Bible transforms the way you think, then you're set up for the information of the word. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal that information to you, and then he turns that information into revelation. So the process is transformation, information, revelation, not information, transformation revelation it has to be transformation first (laughs) most people go after information so how do you set yourself up for this process well we go back to this prescription for life you know when you go to the doctor he he or she writes that prescription and on that prescription they'll say take one pill a day every day for six weeks or whatever it is two pills a day whatever that prescription is you know if i take one pill a day every day for six weeks i follow the prescription i'm gonna experience healing you want to experience healing in your life? Let's follow the prescription for life. What is the prescription for life? Well, it's got three steps. Very, very simple. The prescription for life begins with reading the Word every day. I believe every single person in Christianity in the church needs to be on a one-year Bible reading program for the rest of your life. Here's why. It does three things for you. A one-year Bible reading program. Number one, it gives you structure. This is what the Prescription for Life will do. It'll give you structure. What do I mean by that? How many people have ever sat down with the Bible and went, Whoa, (laughs) this is like a big book. And if you've ever started in Leviticus, you've never gone back. Right? Like, what? The? I'm out of here. The Bible is a very daunting book. So it gives you structure. It tells you what to read, when to read, every day. Very simple. A one-year reading plan is usually three to four chapters a day. If you're not to the point where you're, you're up to reading three or four chapters a day, start with one. If you're not up to the point where you're reading one chapter a day, start with one paragraph. Start with one sentence. Start with one word. Just start. Start with the best verse in the the Bible, Jesus wept. Okay, my verse. Woo, let's go. (laughs) Start somewhere. A Bible reading program gives you structure. Uh, One-year plan. Number two, it gives you a baseline. What's a baseline? A baseline is a minimum amount you need to experience healing. Uh, Do I have any scientific proof of that? No, sorry. But this is just my opinion. Just like on that prescription bottle, take one pill a day every day for six weeks, that's a baseline. I know if I'm not taking one pill a day every day for six weeks, I'm not getting enough medicine to experience healing. A one-year plan, in my opinion, gives you the minimum amount of word you need every day to experience that transformation of your soul. So here's the baseline. I know, this is it. One, one, one pill a day. One part of that reading program. I know, if I'm at that baseline, I'm okay. If I get below it, I know I'm in trouble. Now, this is not perfection. It doesn't mean if you skip one day or you miss one day, it's oh, it's all over, I'm toast. No, you just go back and do it the next day. You get below the baseline, not by missing one day, by but by consistently missing several days or weeks or whatever, And I know, personally, if I get out of the Word consistently, all that sin that the Lord has walked me out of in the last 23 years, guess what's going to happen? He's coming back. Because I have no power over sin. Only Jesus does. And the only way I walk in freedom is because I get the Word in me, and I get more Jesus in me, and I'm able to obey and walk in faithfulness. I'm at or above the baseline. Ideally, you want to be above the baseline. So that's baseline number three is... It gets you through the whole Bible every year. Most Christians not only don't read the Bible, they've never read the whole Bible their entire life, at any time. So, a one-year plan, a prescription for life, gives you structure, creates a baseline, and gets you through the whole Bible. Let me touch on one last thing in this context, uh, and and we'll we'll close and we'll save the rest for next week, is uh, I want to talk about devotionals for a minute. How many people read devotionals? Okay, good. Uh devotionals are great. I'm not against devotionals. They're like um, if you take a multivitamin. You know, multivitamins are called supplements, and they're called supplements for a reason because they're not supposed to be substitutes. All right, if I go to GNC and say, hey, I need a case of <laughs> vitamin supplements because I'm going to quit eating, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. They're going, hey, this is a supplement, not a substitute. Devotionals are great substi- uh, supplements for the word. They're terrible substitutes for the word. A devotional does not have the power of the word. It may have a little bit of word, but it's got a whole bunch of interpretation. Nothing wrong with that. They're great to keep you above the baseline as far as devotional. But most Christians use devotionals instead of the word. doesn't work. I'm telling you right now, it won't work. Same thing, most Christians will use Christian radio or Christian TV or Christian books. Anything except for the word, the devil will get you all kinds of devotional books. He'll get you all kinds of Christian TV and Christian radio, even, you know, good stuff, as long as you stay out of that word. Because he knows how powerful it is. That's why he deceives you into thinking, you're not getting anything out of this, you might as well close it up there, baby. Just listen to Pastor Jeff, you'll be fine. No, you won't. You will not. Pastor Jeff's one of the best Bible teachers, in my opinion, in this country. But he's not as good as the Word. You have to be in the Word every single day. So don't let a devotional keep you away from the prescription for life. So would you stand with me? As we close, again, these are some of the things that I went through over the last... 23 years. Uh, I'll get into a little bit more specifics as far as going beyond this because there's more beyond this. This is baseline, if you will. Okay, it's the gospel. And understanding that the gospel is about your identity, not just your destination. And number two, if you're going to overcome the stuff in your life, whatever it is that's eating your lunch, you've got to experience that transformation of the word. It's the only way you overcome it. That sin sickness, Those are just symptoms. Don't let the enemy distract you. We'll talk about distraction next week, how the enemy distracts us from the core of the reality of of transformation. But if you will do that, I guarantee you, 23 years from now, you go, wow, look what the Lord has done. I'm in a different place. I know it. Every single person here has been created on purpose for a purpose. And it is God's pleasure for you to walk in that purpose. But he's not going to shortcut the transformation process. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, first of all, we thank you just for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word that is spiritually allowed, that is the power to heal our soul. So today, Father, I just pray for every single person here tonight, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, you would you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, in the knowledge of your gospel, in the knowledge of your word. And you would create in them that hunger and desire for that word to transform their life. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the confidence to know that if they, if each and every one of us will... Just surrender to this process of discipleship that you will transform our lives. And Lord, we thank you for doing it in advance. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day.